Welcome to another Consider This. I'm in the studio today um, with three of my best friends. I have uh, Drew Moss working in our college ministry, Justin Ebert working with our young-ish people, and then Paul working with our um, no longer young-ish people. Um, they're called adults, and so Paul uh, oversees much of what our adult ministry does and uh, has just had a lot of experience in this, and so um, we are all going to sit down and talk about um, the messy church in which we are a part of, uh, both um, uh, worldwide as well as like specifically here at Sunnybrook. There's a lot of brokenness that exists, and uh, just thought as we're getting ready to hit this new sermon series on First uh, Corinthians, which was a pretty messed up situation itself. Um, let's just talk about kind of the how the church is doing and how messed up it is and people's opinions about it and how we should think about it. So that's what we're in the studio doing today. We're glad that you're joining us. And so uh, first question I'm going to kind of just throw up there that we're going to consider is this. I think it's easily safe to assume um, that popular opinion believes that the church is pretty messed up, pretty flawed, pretty broken um, for lots of different uh, reasons. And uh, I guess I'm going to ask you this question. Justin, I'll throw it at you. Um, Do you agree with popular opinion? And not just yes or no, but where do you agree? Where do you begin to say yes, but? Where are you going, oh, but let me add also this. So your thoughts. Um, I think first I would say probably my heart wants to say no, that's not true. Mostly because I love the church, right? And yeah. my emotions want to take over and respond first that, no, that's not true. You, you need to look at this, this, and this evidence against that. But then my mind and my experiences and my understanding of church history and yeah, hearing from other believers, <laughs> other pastors, it's just – it's hard to deny that in general it's probably not unfair to say that the church is messy and flawed. Flawed. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so um, I think that's that's hard for us to say as people who do lo- genuinely love the church and want we see her as our mother, as our bride, the bride of of Christ, right? And uh, what would you say? What would you say? Some of the strongest accusations against the church are and um and are true. What would you say, Justin? Um, that. There's problems from top down. I mean, it depends on the church, right? It, my yep. experience was I had a bad experience with this pastor, or um, they just seem so divided, which it's hard for us to say there's not division within the church when we look on one street corner and see three or four different churches, right? That's just mm-hmm. that's self-evident in that there are there's division there. Yeah. So um, those two things, deny, trying to deny someone's own experience that they have been hurt, and we would agree, like, yeah, that was a moral failure from someone who was representing the church or that there's vast division within it. Okay. Drew, you Good. seem to want to just pounce yeah, on this. I think I think it is fair to say that the church is messy, but I, I don't think that it is um, – I, I don't think it's any more messy than any other – set of human beings anywhere else in the world. And, you know, and in fact, in a large part, probably in a number of areas, it's less so. Um, The truth is human beings are messy, but the church is this rare bird where you have a large group of people gathering together voluntarily. They're not, they're not there for a job. They're not there for anything else. And so when you, when you have a congregation of people coming together that, and and living life close to one another, that messiness will come out more obviously sometimes. And, and you also have a group of people who, who claim to be committed to something 
something higher than the world, something greater, Jesus, namely, but then a morality that ought to flow out of, from yeah. that. And so it looks – it um, that sticks out way more. When someone is flawed in the middle of the church, when a church is flawed, that, that looks worse. And, and that's not an excuse yeah. for when churches yeah. are like that. That's yeah. not an excuse for being messy. That's not a, hey, it's okay. I, I just believe that um, all human beings are – and, and to think that people get just magically cleaned up when they step inside the doors of a church is, is crazy. And so, of course, the church is going to be messy. But you wouldn't like the idea. I, I agree with what you said. Yeah. But you wouldn't like the idea of us going, yeah, you know, we're like every other organization yeah. in the world. Like that would be the, the critique of what you just said. Right. Yes. Is if when you say, hey, we're just like everybody else, we're going yeah. – actually, I don't like that part of yeah. it. Right? Which well, I know that's not what you said, but yeah. I mean, that's, the, that's the part I would come along and go – Yeah. Man, I don't want to be like everybody else. No, like I'm and that, preaching that we're not. And that's why, you know, I, I did say like I, if if you're asking me, I would say less so than the yeah. average. You get you get 500 other people together and make them hang out regularly. I think you find more problems <laughs> in those 500 people than in sure. 500 people in a church. Yeah. And again, the, the, that varies based on church. There are some churches you can find <laughs> that are worse than yeah. whatever a Satanist society or something <laughs> like that. But like they, I, I really do. It, it varies based on church. But by and large, I believe the people of God um, ought to be, and and mostly I think are doing better than than your average congregation of another five hundred or a thousand people or whatever it might be. Okay, Paul, anything you want to add to? Just kind of getting out of the sure, box. Sure, sure. Uh, in, in response to what Drew was talking about, kind of talking about those that are in community being the church, so asking the question to them, they're going to defend it in in the aspect of the relationships that are happening. I, when I think of um, dealing with the person who, at some level, is estranged from church for whatever reason, like they went to church and they have a story. And that story, even though it's not been ruminated and has not really been thought through, it's their story, and so it's it's even deeper and rooted, and you're not going to change what they believe about the church because something happened when they were four or their mom told them this. And, you know, 30 years later, they have these responses to the church as this flawed where this priest did this to me or that church wasn't friendly or we were in need and they, they walked on the other side. And so hypocrisy would be yeah. the number one thing that I think that – a world that is outside of church looking at the church loves to say is the problem. Sure. It's very hypocritical that they don't do what they say. They're going to do. And I would say that, too, even for those who may visit, especially in a smaller town like ours where people go to work and then their kids are in the same sports and they go to the same <laughs> schools. And and so a person walks in and then they see somebody that they've done business with, yeah. for instance, and oh, go, yeah. oh, I can't believe that person. There is no way they're a Christian. They are pharisaical they're hypocritical because i see how they do business and so therefore how can they be a christian and so they come to their decisions and make those and so therefore that brings the messiness because i don't even know that i would disagree with some of that Hmm. i would argue that maybe we have held on to some thoughts for a long time and have never really asked questions about why we think that Hmm. we just always believed it and so therefore it becomes true like all lawyers are bad okay it's easy to say that I just happen to know a few that don't seem to be too bad. Yep. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's an unfair statement to say yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. I think it's that's the important part. Is like there is a in general, sure. Okay. We can look at again the history of the church and point to specific instances where there is brokenness there, and it's pretty objective, right? That that is brokenness. Sure. But in the midst of it, there are healthy churches, individual churches. Uh, I remember when I was coming here, a friend of mine. 
at an unhealthy church was like, well, you know, even if you go there, like, there's no perfect church, right? I said, sure, but there are healthy ones. Yeah. You know, like, there are healthy churches that are doing it well and not perfect. Sure, we're not claiming that, but there are churches who seem to be um, thriving in what they've been called and led to do through the Word of God and then those that are doing whatever else they want to do. So two, two things that you brought up, um, Justin, you brought up the division issue, and then Paul talked about the hypocrisy issue. Those are the two things that always jump out at me. Mm-hmm. Whenever I hear anybody talk about it, man, you Christians can't get along with one another. That's the divisive idea. And then the second one is, man, you guys are hypocritical. Mm-hmm. You say this, but you act like this. You, you preach this, but then you act like this. Um, and any other ones, because I, I want to I ask, like, like, where are they accurate? Where, where do we deserve that? And then where do we... Not not deserve it, but where do we need to kind of add the, the conversation is a little more complicated than just kind of a, it's not just an on off. It's not one hundred percent one way and zero the other. It's it's it truly is. There's more that's yeah. happening, and we're trying to be more um, not just sympathetic or understanding. I, w- I would hope we would be as as kind to um, anyone with this approach. Mm-hmm. You know, where is that accusation accurate, and where does that accusation need some more conversation? So. Mm-hmm. First of all, anything we want to add to outside of the hypocrisy and the yeah. divisive issue? Is there any, anything you want to I add? Mean, the, the other big one, it may be not quite as frequent, but it is definitely, I think, comes to the topic, sure. grabs the headlines the most, sure. is any sort of like sexual abuse or okay. scandal stuff. The pastor who ran away with the secretary or the youth minister who was preying on young girls or yeah. young boys or yeah. those kinds of things. The elder who's doing those things. And, yeah. and of course, those are... That is, um, that's the church at its worst, yeah. or you know, what I mean, that's the that's humanity at its worst. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so those those rightfully grab people's attention when that happens. Yeah, sure. and I would I would even say then, and right on the heels of that, um, the 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 financial impropriety. Yeah, yeah, that happens, right? But I would I mean, say those probably fall under still the hypocrisy side. Sure. Right? If we want to, if we boil it down, they're moral failures sure. that are hypocritical to the holy standard that we've been called to. Sure, so I think I, they're I a mean, subset, but I also think. They don't. I don't know if they see them as a subset. I don't know if people sure. are going. They're hypocritical because their moral doctrine says they're supposed to believe this. Yeah. Right. So I, I agree. It's I, I agree. It would fit under the hypocrisy piece, but it seems to almost because it's so valuable, um, or, or so uh, not valuable. It's so uh, distinct. Yeah. It's so distinct. Like it's it just it absolutely catches our attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I don't know. They just seem to accuse us of and and not. They don't let the hypocrisy thing kind of stand. Hypocrisy yeah. is kind of something that they they don't respect us for. Sure, this is sure. something they hate us for. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And so I would say that. Okay. Yeah. So then as we as we kind of go through that, I mean honestly, let's let's deal with this. So where where is this deserving, Drew? I'll throw this at you. Like where is this deserving? And then where is this not deserving? Yeah. How how do we think about this in terms of how do we let the accusation fall and we repent and transform? And how is it that we say, um, Let's add some things to the conversation. Yeah. So what are it's, you thinking? It's fair and deserving because, even though I say, I think you compare us to to any other group of people, and I think you'd see these flaws in other people. But the truth is, Christians hold themselves to a different standard. And, and not just that's not just the world holding it. We say we ought to be held to a different standard. We say this is our standard. And so we, we, it is rightfully kind of turned on us when we don't live up to the standards that we say this is what it ought to be sure Um, it's also i think i mean it's fair because when you get into the area of religion and the kind of abuses of power that can take place when we take something as important and as incredible as god 
and we allow that to be twisted around to do wicked things or to get away with wicked behavior, that, that is, it is fair to cast judgment on somebody for doing those things. And in, in church life, God is going to get mixed in there a lot of times, sure. and, and abuse of power is going to get mixed in. Um, so I, those are fair. Here's where it's not necessarily fair is um, one is that major accusation of hypocrisy. Sometimes that's fair. Sure. But I, I think it's always important for us to not confuse um, hypocrisy with um, just general failure. Yeah. Um, for me to say, this is how I ought to live. I ought to love my wife and kids well all the time. And then for me to go home and lose my patience and feel bad about that and be able to confess that to brothers and sisters <laughs> and say, dude, I was not patient with my kid. That's not you hypocrisy. Weren't? Yeah. Hypocrite. <laughs> yeah. That's not hypocrisy is pretending yes. that mm. you're always perfect and loving with your wife and kids, mm, even sure. though you go home and yell at them. That's hypocrisy. But to, to, to fall short of a standard and to repent of that and feel bad for that and seek to do better in that right. is not hypocrisy. And a lot of times we, we cast failures as just straight up hypocrisy. The other thing I would say that's um, that, not, by the way, I mean, I, I don't know if you're going to move on, but yeah. what you just said is huge, right? Because I think that you know one of the one of the things that I want to do is I want to change the world's perception of us. But actually, I feel a greater desire and a, uh, almost an obligation to change the church's ver- uh, vision of itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that we could actually make that distinction yep. because what you just said, Drew, is so critical. It reminds me a lot of my children. Once they hear about what a lie is, everything that is not accurate is a lie. Right. You said one plus one was four. <laughs> yeah. You're a liar. And yeah. I'm like, well, no, he just didn't know one plus one was two, and he was just wrong. No, yeah. that it's not true. He's a liar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's a helpful and distinction. It just gets so over the top. And, I, and I have, I've had to explain to my kids that when I say, hey, Daddy, be home at 5 o'clock, and I show up at 5.05 because of something <laughs> – I wasn't a liar, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so you really have to show some distinctive thinking, uh, you know, trying to draw some, some lines of separation so that it doesn't get all lumped yes. in together because hypocrisy is evil. Yes. And the other one is, is again, something you've repented of, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. Well, and, and by the way, it, uh, Keller kind of points out on this, I love this. He said it, it ought to, it shouldn't surprise us. Um, when one of the prerequisites for giving your life to Jesus is a recognition of your brokenness and your <laughs> sinfulness, right. it shouldn't surprise us that sometimes some of the most broken, messed up people are in the church mm-hmm. because it's, it's those people who've got their lives cleaned up or, or apparently, apparently cleaned, up, cleaned up, don't see their need and they're not in church as much. But the people whose, whose mess is right out in front of them, they're going to be the most likely sometimes to turn to Jesus. And so, but again, that's not hypocrisy to go, man, this is my mess. And here I am, you know, um, if I could throw one other thing, that's not fair. I think sometimes, I think a lot of times the church um, takes heat for people who are stepping inside the church building, but are not actually the church. Um, and so the person goes and, and they, man, they do business with this person who's shady. And then they show up and they see them sitting in a pew at church and they go, oh, that, that hypocrite. And this is what Christians are like. But the truth is that person, just because they're sitting in a pew, isn't sure. necessarily. It's, I give the illustration. If I, you know, if I go around and claim that I play for the Thunder <laughs> and you watch me play basketball, you mean the Thunder, they're awful. Well, that's, that's the worst. Well, wait, 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 bad example. Pick like the Golden State Warriors. Go, sure. Okay. okay. Golden, <laughs> do it again with the Golden State Warriors. With the Warriors. Golden State Warriors. Uh-huh. Then they go, yeah, the Warriors are awful. And I go, no, don't. Kevin Durant would say, yeah, please don't hold us to that guy's <laughs> standard. Don't don't look at that guy and say that's right. us, right? Yeah, because he has my jersey yes. does not mean he's on the yes. team. And yes. And they're, I mean, we've, 
pollsters have realized in the last year it is really hard to pin down what is an evangelical what is a christian there are a lot of people who will call themselves something that are not that and so i think that's always important to, to keep in mind too cool sure anything you guys want to add to the list drew i think dealt well with the hypocrisy thing um, one one thing that I, I want to, and I don't know if you guys are thinking this. So I'm going to kind of, I'm going to start it, and I'm, I bet you guys can just pick this up. Um, some people don't understand that division sometimes is important and valuable, and it's not all bad, mm-hmm. you know. And so the fact that there are different churches on different street corners doesn't. It used to really bother me. Why do they hate each other? I mm-hmm. don't actually hate the church across mm-hmm. the street. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I may disagree with them on some things. And therefore, it's probably not a bad thing that we have, um, uh, you know, different different leaders, and we have a different uh, time in which we meet and a different location because we've got some theological uh, differences that a we either can't get c- come to agreement on, and therefore there needs to be a separation, or we just choose. Um, for the sake of whatever reason, to just kind of go along um, on two different sides of the streets, but to recognize each other as brothers. And so I think there's a lot more to be added on the division side um, where there, I think even if, even if we were all more perfect, more like Christ, I think there would still be more than one church in Stillwater. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, just even practically speaking. So on the divide and the divided thing, a, it's not always bad to be divided because some of the divisions have existed because of false teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the divisions have existed because of a rebellion in other people. And so that's not, it, I guess, yeah, collectively it's bad, but, you know, kudos to those. I want to just kind of just round of applause for those that stood up and said, we're not going to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so there have been many times in church history where the division has come up. And I'm really proud that the church said, yeah, that's not us, what you yeah. were just describing, mm-hmm. Drew. Th- those people that claim to, buy, to be in our name, like they're not us. I can't stop them from acting like a religious organization. But the truth is they don't line up with Scripture. Mm-hmm. And, and, and our culture doesn't like that. But some of that divisive stuff I think actually yeah. fits well. Mm-hmm. Anything you guys want to add, Justin? I mean, I, you see it from the earliest pages of our faith that there's people being called out for false teaching or for not living out uh, the standard of Scripture. And Paul himself is saying, okay, until they're ready to come back to what is true, then you need to have a division with them, okay? Have nothing to do do with them, okay? Then we see in the first four centuries of the church, one of the major changing turning points were these councils, these councils where they would come together to decide, is this doctrine true or false? And we need to make sure that we are all on the same page so that our churches are all on the same page and you know, casting out those that were not in line with what w- would become orthodoxy, right? What would become proper doctrine. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned it. It's, yeah, it comes down to some teaching. If we cannot agree on the uh, hypostatic union of Jesus, and there is a problem that will then show itself in how we treat people we believe and we who knows maybe an, an eternal um implication there and so yeah that uh, we i agree with that that there is some division that's acceptable when it comes down to the teaching okay um third thought to consider paul i'm going to throw this one okay. at you um so then how how should we think about these flaws you know like i mean 
let's let's begin to uh, I think the majority of our people that are listening to this podcast are probably part of our fellowship or at least have a have an understanding of who we are they know our convictions I think they know um, uh, our lives that, that, that we live and uh, I think there's some credibility that's existing there but maybe there's not maybe there's some people that are just picking this up who um, may know about us but don't necessarily share the convictions of our faith and have some honest mm-hmm. critiques of the church how, how would you t- how would you challenge those people the majority of them being part of the Sunnybrook family how would you challenge them to think about our brokenness and our flaws mm-hmm. yeah I mean you know, there's there's a couple like you said there's talking about our church family obviously I have stronger words for that mm-hmm. I, I feel like scripture teaches us that that we have a responsibility within the church and those that we are accountable to because of the blood of Jesus that has separated us from sin and has made us children of God and then the call of leadership that has been put on us to lead them that we have a responsibility and, and to go after because of love for them and so when I when I think of the flaws yeah they're accurate they're they're clear I guess I don't feel as much of a, a sense of a responsibility to the rest of the world to defend all of the bride, the church's problems. But I do have a responsibility to the people that I do yeah. life with that yeah. are my brothers and sisters in Christ, that I walk alongside to love them and then to speak truth as well as receive that same truth confronting and speaking in my heart. And so, um, uh, you know, not that we are any different than a lot of churches, but there is a high sense of responsibility to uh, confront sin yeah. and to speak true in that in love um I, and i was thinking through this podcast and just walking through just uh, a typical sunday morning where our church does gather and and being in the lobby and stepping in a sunday school class or, or walking around and being through very conversations that are there and and just noticing people that are in brokenness <laughs> they're broken um and then i begin to realize that all of us are broken some of them just happen to have uh, their names in the paper for it, you know, and or are, are, are have these outside repercussions of of not having their children with them on this Sunday morning, you know, and so we are called to love and to confront and to speak truth and to not uh, to keep tethered to to not do it once and then walk away because that's not what we're called to be uh, in in regard to the flaws that we have, is that we're supposed to speak truth, and we're supposed to, for the sake of them, and what God is doing is sanctifying work, and we've been responsible, given a responsibility to help uh, orchestrate that in them with the Holy Spirit, obviously, in the Word of God. And so, um, yeah, we are flawed. This, is at, this, this burns at the very center of who we are. It's in our understanding of our theology that we are broken, that we are sinful, that we have been separated. Uh, and in that essence that God is doing a work in us because of his gift. And so we're processing that. Well, and I'll tell you, one of the things that I, I think is really interesting is that like, if, if anybody knows how broken we are as a church, um, I would say it's those of us right here. I mean, we really do know how. I mean, I know how broken I am. I know, I know, I know better than anybody how broken you guys are. Right, the average person doesn't know you guys as well as I do, and vice versa. You know me, Um, you know my kids, you know my. uh, So you know so much, and yet, and and honestly, because of the the position that we're in, in knowing the brokenness in our congregation, like every week we all sit with people, and I'm saying, you think you're the only one that's kind of confessing this sin right now? Like if you knew who you were sitting with on Sunday morning, 
Right. And and I, what I love is is that we really do address that. We really do confront that. But we confront it with the gospel. Mm-hmm. We don't confront it with with. I hope we don't. I mean, and, and if we do, may God like rectify and may God judge and may God purify all that stuff, right? Um, but I love to remind people: you're not the only one in that pew that's dealing with a sexual sin. And you're not the only one in the room that's dealing with issues of pride that have ruined a marriage. You're not the only one that has. And and I, I think one of the things I love to just challenge people on, I love to kind of think, how can we be consistent? Because with consistency at some level, I think we can get rid of hypocrisy, mm-hmm. you know, that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And so I love to ask people, well, will you just, will you treat me like you would if I was your, your brother, brother? Mm-hmm. Right? Because, I mean, it's amazing how... Oh, he's my brother or my sister, and so I've got to defend her or I've got to protect her. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about treat me like a brother where you'll look the other way when right, I sin. Right. No, I'm talking about how the Bible says to treat a true brother, which is you call him out, um, you make him, uh, you know, kind of come to the the level of repentance by pointing out his sin, um, and then you create this context in which the relationship is restored. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one of the most beautiful things is that. I think as a as a leadership, as an eldership, um, it's so important that we help our people keep a high standard, not look the other way. But then let's go back and say, why don't we treat each other like we really are brothers and oh. sisters? Mm-hmm. And so, how has anybody in your family right. failed and broken? Um, you know, done some things that have hurt your family? Yes. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Do you abandon them? Do you? Well, no. Uh, do you look the other way? I hope you don't, right. but many families do. Mm-hmm. And so we're called to live in that brother-sister relationship. I think if we were to just actually think through mm-hmm. the metaphors that Paul gives us, right. you are the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. We are the bride. Mm-hmm. You know, Augustine has said, um, and I, I think this is a fascinating statement, um, the church is a whore, but she's also your mother. Sure. And so that really kind of using some of the analogies that the Bible has used about the people of God, you are an adulteress. And so I know that language might just sound so over the top, but, I mean, that's the Bible's picture of itself um, um, when the church is not acting properly. And there really is both sides of that. Um, I love a very beautiful, broken woman named Andrea. Um, And so I know the dark side of this wonderful woman that I love, and she knows the dark side of the man that she loves. Um, But she's my bride. And it doesn't mean that I can't hear the truth or don't want to deal with the truth. It just means make sure that you speak about this woman that I love in a way that honors my love for her. Mm-hmm. And I, that would be one of the things I would tell church people mm-hmm. is just remember when you speak even truthfully about mm-hmm. the bride of Christ, remember it's still the bride mm-hmm. of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so be careful because he is at work in us. And I, I, I that's mm-hmm. a big mm-hmm. thing that I would add. Justin, you seem to, am I picking that up? Yeah, no, I mean, I just feel like I've, in working with young people, uh, there's this tendency to either want to be part of the church when they see the flaw or to run and kick it while it's down and mm. jump ship, right? Mm-hmm. Jump ship. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing an illustration of like, okay, recognize the holes in the ship, fine, but instead of jumping out, like get a bucket and let's fix <laughs> this thing, right? And so sure. like teaching people like – don't just complain or don't just leave like pick up a shovel or pick up your bible or pick up a ministry opportunity and like let's do this thing together yeah. right we, like that's kind of the point mm-hmm. of this like god gave each of us these different spiritual gifts that we're going to be learning about in this new series that we're trying to equip everybody we're trying to become mature and unified through these things so mm-hmm. don't jump 
So we're hitting this series starting this Sunday on First Corinthians, and you know it is the classic. This is a messed up church right. scenario, right? More than any other church, Paul deals with the ugliness of the of the people at Corinth, and a lot because of where they were coming from. He describes an incredibly broken group of people who are now a being sanctified, gro- broken group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that I want? I want each of you to kind of share something. We'll start here with Paul. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you, you you expect us to be able to learn and to apply? Um, to our lives individually and corporately from the Corinthian letter. Like, let's put this in the context of we're not the first church that's broken and we're not the first church to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Man, let's learn some things from this. So what are, what are some things that we can expect to learn from First Corinthians? Well, I think the number one thing is it's Paul at his either how you view his best or worst. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the idea that he is not going to let uh, amount of time uh, sit between the confronting of sin. He's going to go after it. He is going to. He's the doctor you want to get rid of the problem of sin yeah, in your yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't want it to fester and have to have a surgery later. He wants to deal with it head on. And yeah. so that is um, that is great news, although that may be not what you want right now. That is great <laughs> news. I, I, I love that Paul does that, but but also at the same time, and, and uh, alluding to what you talked about earlier, that he in himself is going to confront sin at its hardest issue for the sake of the bride and the church. And then he also has a right, mature view of himself uh, in that he can see that uh, that he in himself is something that has been broken, that has been saved, and God is doing a work in him, and yet he does not take that lightly yeah. and doesn't, doesn't uh, lift himself up. And I think this is what God is doing in us as a church, and I'm excited about uh, drawing from his strength uh, to be uh, conscientious of the responsibility that we have, the mandate that we have, especially as leaders in a church, to confront in love with a right view of who we are as broken, only saved, only sitting here because of what God has done for us. Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, yeah. (laughs) He is, you know, you always hear about that, like, good cop, bad cop. And he really plays both sides of that in this book. He's he is incredibly low, and in, and in his second letter to the to the mm-hmm. people of Corinth, mm-hmm. I mean, he really offers this. Man, I am so here with you, and that's the reason why I'm so upset, and that's the reason why I'm speaking so strongly. Um, is he's trying to hold them accountable because he knows. I mean, one of, the one thing I love about the Bible is it, it knows that the Lord is coming, hmm. and so I love one of my one of my greatest word studies I ever did was on the word admonish. And uh, I still remember learning that it meant to warn now to avoid punishment later. And that's such a great way to look at the biblical instruction. It's giving me advice now so that when Jesus comes, I get the reward and I don't get the, you know, I get the carrot, not the stick. So, mm-hmm. Justin, what do you, uh, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I'm, I mean, we t- First of all, titled you predict it. Alabama? Uh, if not, I don't know if I can trust I you. I think everyone predicted Alabama. <laughs> Everyone. Um, okay, so what can you predict from uh, from this wonderful book? Well, we titled it God's Wisdom for His Foolish Saints. And, I mean, we did that very intentionally based on the text itself. And that saints is a word that we hear a lot, but not a lot of people know. That means like holy ones. Yeah. Ones who are set apart, not common. Okay, that's what holy is. It's distinct. And we've already discussed how some of the problems that exist within the church are when holy ones act like common ones, right? The common thing we all have is brokenness. The common thing we all have in our life is sin and a past and things that are dividing us and broken relationships. That's what we all have. But these holy ones are ones who have encountered the risen Jesus in some way and said, I want something new. I want to be remade. I want that 
something within me to be healed that I really only think God can give because I've tried everything else and nothing seems to work. And so we're going to see all kinds of ways the holy people, these foolish holy people, have decided to try and be common, let their old common life mix into this new life, and it just doesn't work. Mm. And we have that same struggle. So many of these things we're going to be like, did Paul like come to Sunnybrook and see some of our problems? Some of them are weird and unique, but (laughs) right, but a lot of them... Same old, same old. Yeah, same old, same old. That's true. Drew, what are you you thinking? One of the cool things about Corinthians is, you know, you ask, what do we expect to see? Is in in the book of 1 Corinthians, you get to see so many different things. Like maybe Mm -hmm. no other book in in the New Mm -hmm. Testament, there are so many different topics about about how you should view your leaders and about how to have unity and about um, sexual sin and about marriage. what? Marriage. Yeah, about right? marriage. Suing, about, yeah, about suing marriage, people about at the church. Suing people. About suing people. About <laughs> gifts in the church. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and so there's so that's, that's one of the things I'm excited about. We just get to look at so many different things. But I think one of the things you get to see is how all of those things find their right place when Jesus is put at the foundation or center. So kind of Paul's answer to what do you do with the gifts is, well, they ought to be done in a way that builds up Jesus's church. And what do you do with leaders? Well, you ought to view them as Jesus' servants. And how ought you to view yourself as a single person or a married person? You ought to view yourself as a married person who belongs to Jesus (laughs) or a single person who belongs to Jesus. How do you take communion? Remembering yeah. that you are a part mm-hmm. of this body, yeah, that, yeah. his body, and, and respecting the body, and yeah. it is like all of these, all of these varied um, aspects of life. Um, Paul is able to show us how a right understanding of Jesus and the gospel and those things really does like make those things work. Yeah. And so I'm excited about that. So 